The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680 WPTF and 98.5 FM. This is the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, hosted by founder Sarah Coates, a licensed clinical mental health counselor. In this podcast, Sarah and her team of therapists will dive deep into many topics on mental health care. Here's your host, Sarah Coates. Hi, welcome to the Turning Your Life Around podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Heidi Fox. Hi, Heidi. Hi, Sarah. I'm so glad to have you here today. And the topic we're talking about is so compelling, and I know it's so personal to you. And I'm really excited for you to share your story and your wisdom and your knowledge with the audience. So thanks again for joining me. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. A little nervous, but very grateful to have this opportunity. So today I know we're going to talk about major medical trauma, specifically how you survived a brain tumor. And I really want to just say that I appreciate you being vulnerable and willing to share your story. So thanks again. Let's start off by talking about maybe how the diagnosis came to be and when that happened. And maybe you can just walk us a little bit through your story of discovering the brain tumor. Sure, yeah. Um, It was June 2018. It was actually June 1st. That date will be forever indelibly marked in my mind. I had started experiencing some symptoms. I just wasn't feeling well, and I was experiencing symptoms where I was off balance, and I, there's a term in the medical field that I've now learned called proprioception, and I <laughs> learned, learned about that and how that's just basically knowing where your limbs are in space. And at night, I would wake up and I would not know where my left arm was. I felt a lot of tingling and I I didn't know where it was. I I couldn't tell if it was under the pillow or under my head. And that was a little bit unnerving and disconcerting, but I didn't really think much of it. And like I said, just having some balance issues and started to get really bad headaches. And I, I had always heard, you know, people say for a brain tumor or something like this, you'll have headaches like you've never had before. And I never understood what that meant until I did. And it felt like there were just blinding white hot pokers in my eyes. And, you know, I just kept telling my husband, something's not right. I I don't know, but something's not right. So I went to my doctor. She was actually a a PA and she diagnosed me with anxiety. Hmm. And as a mental health Hmm. professional, I've gotten somewhat good at diagnosing myself. And I knew that this wasn't anxiety. I knew Mm. that this was something more. Because headaches go along with anxiety. Yes. And the limb tingling Mm. and just being kind of wonky and spacey and so I thought, well, maybe it is anxiety, but, but I, I've experienced anxiety right. before, and it wasn't anything like this. So I knew in my heart, in my, my gut, that there was something really wrong. So fast forward to June 1st, and my, my husband and I were home just talking, and I started to feel really, really sick. And the, the day prior to that, I had a lot of tension in my neck and shoulders, and I went to go get a massage. I, I know now hindsight's the best sight. This was all God orchestrated events that only God could have orchestrated. The massage, my, my neurosurgeon later told me, I forget how he put it, but essentially it 
kind of riled up everything that was going on in my brain. And Mm. so it got the fluid moving and everything just kind of came to a head that next day. So that was Friday, June 1st. And I looked at my husband. I actually had started throwing up. Sorry if this is TMI, but I had started (laughs) throwing up and I said, something's not right. And he could tell I was kind of starting to go in and out of lucidity. And he said, well, come on, let's go to the car. I'll take you to the hospital. I said, no, I can't, I can't move. I, I need you to call the ambulance. So he did. They came and got me. They said, which hospital do you want to go to? And there was just something in my mind that said, go to UNC, go to UNC. Hmm. Um, so I just said, UNC, they took us right there. My sister's a nurse there. She was on duty when we got there. She came right away and... Again, it's just, I, I look back on it, and it, these are just events that really only God could have, could have orchestrated. Mm. The head neurosurgeon was on that evening, that day. He was on call. Come to find out, he was actually the president of the Physicians Network. UNC does not have a chief of staff, president of the Physicians Network. Anyway, the top neurosurgeon, the head guy, was on call. He decided to take my case. They sent me in for an MRI, and within 48 hours, I was in surgery. Mm. That's fast. Yeah, it was fast. I mean, I can just imagine within 48 hours. And you're not talking about just any surgery. Right. I mean, we're talking major <clears throat> brain surgery within 48 hours. Yes. I'm, I'm really thankful that I was so out of it when I got there because I didn't have time to process what was happening. And so... After the MRI came back and he looked at everything, he said, you've got a massive tumor in your brain. Sorry if I get emotional, but after actually the first scan, the resident came back in and, and said to me and my husband, John, you have a mass on your, in your right ventricle. And I was so out of it that I said, what? I, what's a mass? Mm. And my husband said, honey, it's a, it's, it's a tumor. And I said, I can't have a tumor. I can't have a brain tumor. I mean, I was just completely in shock. Anyway, the physicians and the staff, I mean, they were phenomenal at UNC. They were un- unbelievable in walking us through that whole process. My family, my husband, my, my neurosurgeon, he came in and he said, I've assembled a team. Mm. He said, I've assembled the best team that I could get. His chief resident was there. He was getting ready to leave on a, a fellowship, and he happened to be there for this surgery. Wow. So he was in on the surgery. So Sunday, June third, I go into surgery. It was 10 plus hours. I think it was like a 12 or 13 hour surgery. And this is something I feel compelled to add prior to this. So two years before this, I had joined a 12 step recovery program for food addiction. I was over 200 pounds. I'm 5'2", 215 pounds when I came into this program. By the time I hit this surgery, I had lost almost 100 pounds. I know in my heart of hearts that I would not have survived this surgery. This was the first one. There were two more coming after this, but I know that I would not have survived this surgery. And I firmly believe that God led me to that program to help with my addiction, to help me in this process, because he knew what was coming down the road. Right, right. So, yeah, so I went to that surgery. By the grace of God, I came out of it alive. We laugh now because my sister, the nurse, you know, they were all waiting in the waiting room. And she said that when the neurosurgeon came out, the look on his face, she said she couldn't even get up to walk. Her legs felt like jelly because his face just looked so somber and serious. Mm. And he said, she's okay. It went well, but it was so big that we're going to have to go back in for another surgery. We couldn't keep her under any longer. Wow. 
So I, of course, had no idea any of this was happening, which is really kind of an, an interesting thing if you think about it. Exactly. Being put under and, and taken out, like, no idea what's happening. So, yeah, I came out of that surgery, and that was, you know, Sunday, June 3rd. And a lot of funny things happened coming out of that surgery when I was under anesthesia. One of my my brothers-in-law came in and was messing with me, and I was saying all kinds of crazy stuff, and my husband wrote down everything. So we, <laughs> we still laugh about that to this day. But I think the one of the biggest things for me was just the, the peace that I felt through this all. It was inexplicable, overwhelming peace that absolutely passes all understanding. There is no logic to it. Or I experienced God put so many people in my path through this that that helped me through it. After this first surgery, a week later, I had to have the second surgery. And I could have gone home in between the two surgeries, but I opted not to. I just didn't feel like I was going to recover fast enough. And my neurosurgeon said, yeah, it would be better for you to just stay in the hospital until the second surgery. So I stayed in the hospital. The second surgery was done on June 12th. So I was lying there waiting to be wheeled down to the MRI room and this person came to roll me into the MRI room and I I was crying and I was just kind of lying there on the gurney just crying and just scared. She came up to me and she said, you are a God-fearing woman, aren't you? And I don't know how she knew that. And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, well, my mother told me a long time ago that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Wow. She said, you can believe that he's with you. So then, of course, the, the waterworks really came out. I just said, thank you so much. And again, just a really, really overwhelming feeling of peace. So, yeah, so go into the, into the second surgery. And again, by the grace of God, and it's another 12-hour surgery or so. Came out of it okay. I say okay, came out of it alive, but really with, with minimal deficits. Right. Um, and Sarah, you know, you were there for a lot of this and walked me through it and were so gracious in helping me through it. You said you came out with minimal deficits. Mm-hmm. What, what did that look like for you post-second surgery? Yeah, so after the second surgery, well, you know what? It was, it was a really arduous, long, hard journey. They, they don't tell you how hard recovery is going to be because it's so subjective and it's different for everyone. Right. And they just don't know. And so my neurosurgeon said, you could be up and fine in three to four weeks back to work, or it could be months. We, we don't know. <sighs> so that was daunting and overwhelming. Coming out of my second surgery, I needed all kinds of rehab. So I did occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, and I did it all at the hospital, which was nice. I was in the hospital for the entire month of June, from June 1st, and I left, I think, on June 30th. Well, I remember you relearning how to brush your teeth. Yes, how to brush my teeth, um, how to make my food. My husband had to make all my food when I got home. When I first came out of these surgeries and was going into all my therapies, I couldn't tell time. I would look Mm -hmm. at the clock and I didn't understand. It was the weirdest feeling because I knew that I should be able to know how to do that, but I couldn't tell the little hand and the big hand, like where they were supposed to be or what time it was even. Mm. And so you came out of the second surgery, obviously Mm -hmm. with some deficits, having to relearn Mm -hmm. some basic life skills. Mm And then, and then I think about five months later, mm-hmm. you learned that the tumor had come back. Yeah. 
So after after the two surgeries, I had the option to do radiation, but my tumor was benign. Um, it was non-cancerous, which I was very grateful for. And the type of tumor that I had was the most common type of brain tumor. Where mine was located was very uncommon. It's called an intraventricular meningioma, and it was located in my right ventricle, very deeply buried in there. Whether or not this is true, I believe that God placed it there because I did not experience anything until, like I said, it got to be critical mass and time for me to go to the hospital. Um, so it was tucked away so deeply, you know, I didn't have a stroke or a seizure or anything prior to this, which is a miracle in and of itself. Mm. And I say the option, they, they didn't really push me there, but they said, well, the next step would be to do radiation. And I said, well, if it's benign, why do I want to do radiation? And my neurosurgeon had said that he felt confident that he got the entire tumor, which I believe he did. It was called a complete resection. However, he did say there is the chance. We don't know because it's an atypical. It's considered atypical. Three grades, grade one, two, and three. I was at the grade two. He said it could grow back. We don't know what's going to happen. We can wait and watch or we can go ahead and do the radiation. Well, thinking about the side effects of the radiation, I opted out and decided not to do radiation and just said, let's wait and see, do MRIs, and we'll see what happens. Sure enough, five months later, I go in for my quarterly MRI and I met with the nurse practitioner to my neurosurgeon. She said, well, it doesn't look good. And I, my stomach just dropped because mm-hmm. I thought for sure it was going to be fine. Right. And she said it started to grow back. There's a tiny piece that's coming back. That, that was it. We, we left, and I just bawled my eyes out when we got in the car. I was devastated. I was mm-hmm. devastated. I felt so hopeless, just utterly overwhelmed by it all. And we got home and I just remember I just kind of got on my knees and flung myself across my bed and just cried out to God in anger, in sadness, in fear, just all of it, all, all the emotions. And then I heard from my neurosurgeon. So I, I didn't meet with him. He's not the one who told me that it had come back, which I wish he was, but it's okay spoke with him and then he said okay so here's the plan you're gonna have to do a third surgery and then I'm definitely saying you need to go to radiation like and he at took that control point, he took control he told me the plan and I just remember feeling this profound sense of relief like oh you mean this isn't it for me I'm not gonna die I, oh wow. great there's an answer there's a solution and at that point because we had seen now kind of what my tumor was going to do. I was like, fine, I'll do radiation. I'll do it. I, I don't care. Um, I just wasn't ready for it the first time. And, and I didn't, it wasn't something I wanted to do. So this time, I believe this was God preparing me and equipping me to be fully ready to engage in this process. And so that was in November that I found out the tumor had come back. The next surgery was scheduled for January and went into the next surgery. Thank you, God. Came through it okay. Again, another 12, 13-hour surgery. And then I started radiation March, and that was six weeks of daily radiation. But I, and I say it so matter of fact, like, oh yeah, I did this and then I did that. It was daunting. The sheer volume of what I knew was ahead of me was absolutely daunting and overwhelming. And I, I, I quite frankly didn't know how I was gonna get through it. Thankfully, because I'm in this 12-step recovery program, there's a huge network of support. And I called, we call them fellows, friends, fellows. I called fellows and I just said, how, how am I gonna do this? And one of my good friends said, one day at a time. Mm. That's it, one day at a time. Because when I looked 
what was looming ahead of me, it was a Goliath, it was a mountain, it was something that I just couldn't do, that I couldn't face. But when I took it one day at a time, the phrase in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, really became evident in my life. Mm. That it was just enough for today, Heidi. Just enough for today. I'm going to get you through today. Hold your hand, lead you through. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'm already there. I'm ahead of you. I've got you. I've got this. It's a pretty profound experience. It sounds extremely profound. And I think it's such a good topic for us to be discussing today because there's so many people, especially in light of COVID now, so many people with major medical trauma. And among our audience listening, we're surrounded by all these big hospitals. I know there are listeners who either themselves have faced or their loved ones have faced major medical trauma. So I appreciate hearing your story about what happened, but I would love for you to share with the listeners how you have gone from what happened to where you are now and how you managed the anxiety, the depression, all the normal human emotions that come along from what could have been a potential death sentence, but wasn't, and how you navigated that with your faith and your background as a therapist. Yeah. You know, number one, my my faith in God, my faith in in a higher power, something other than myself, was absolutely key and instrumental in me getting through something like this. I I don't know how I would have gotten through it otherwise if I didn't have that. So that was absolutely key. It deepened and grew and strengthened more than I ever thought possible. The individual ways that God showed up for me to meet me where I was— blew me away, blew me away, just how personal he was. And that really, really helped sustain me and comfort me to know that I really truly was not alone because there were some very dark nights, especially in the hospital when my whole family had left and I was by myself in my hospital bed. I just would cry out to God because I, I was so alone and, and I felt it. I felt that, that, that loneliness. There was one incident where I was lying there and I just felt enveloped by this warm golden light. Inexplicable, just felt really warm, golden light, comforted, peaceful. And the next day when, when I had woken up, I was like, okay, God, was, was that the drugs? Was that you? Because that was just almost, almost tangible. And I just let it go. And I um, was reading one of my daily devotionals, Jesus Calling. And this was several days later. And the first words on that daily devotional were, let me envelop you with my warm golden light. Wow. And I just felt like that was a personal message. A little God wink. It was. Absolutely. And there were many of those. I mean, I could wax and wane. Uh, Stories I have really just an, an, an abundance of, of stories like that. Just little things that, that it was God saying to me, I've got you. I'm with you. So I think the faith was, was, was a huge part in getting me through that. As far as from a clinical perspective, yeah, when I came out of the hospital and started really the road to recovery, just, you know, re- reacclimating back into home life and, and normal life, I t- was told so many times in the hospital, well, you have to find a new normal. And, and that would infuriate me because I would say, I didn't want a new normal. I don't want a new normal. I want the old way of how my life was. I followed my doctor's orders. I listened to what they said. My radiation oncologist is amazing. And she told me, if you exercise 
heading into radiation, it will be a much easier experience. Meditation, eat healthy. And again, thank you, God, that I got into this program that helped me lose all this weight. It also taught me how to eat very, very, very healthy. Managing my anxiety, I got very depressed. The anxiety was, was huge because there was such fear that my life would never again be what it was. I still had deficits on my, my left side, and I, I still do to this day, and they're especially prominent when I'm tired. But there will be times, you know, where I will hug my husband, and I don't, I don't know where my hand is. I don't know if it's around his neck, on his back. I, I can't tell. And I was really angry, and he was absolutely so, so gracious. And he could see when I would start to fumble or especially in in bigger crowds, that was when we were gathering in bigger crowds, (laughs) I would get this look on my face, I guess, where I would feel really disoriented and overwhelmed and just kind of lost. And he would just kind of take my hand and scoot out. But they told me too, when I left the hospital, make sure you rest, make sure you rest, rest, rest. And as a type A person who is a goer and a doer. And that was really hard for me to just rest. It was really hard for me to accept life on life's terms. And Mm. that's something that the program I'm in has has helped me do. Accepting life on life's terms, finding gratitude. And that was something that I was, again, by the grace of God, was able to do in the hospital was to find gratitude. A couple times a nurse came into my room and I would always talk with the nurses and everyone coming in. And it was just a way that I felt like I had some control over the situation. And to just be friendly and connect with them. And this nurse came in one day and I forget how the conversation even started, but I was having a pity party. I was feeling sorry for myself. She didn't know that. I was just lying in bed, just kind of crying and again, feeling sorry for myself. And she and I just started chatting and I said something to her and she said in her Southern accent, well, honey, you're one of the only patients on this unit who's able to get up and go to the bathroom by herself. You talk about fresh perspective and gratitude. I was like, okay, God, thank you got it. I can get up. I can walk. I don't need someone taking me to the toilet. Like I'm, I'm okay. You know, I might have some deficits, but I'm okay. And so finding gratitude was huge. Learning to just go into deep acceptance for my, my new normal, being grateful that I was alive. I think for me, before this happened, I took my health for granted and I took my abilities for granted. When I go out for a walk now, I try to exercise every day, get outside it is so cathartic. It is so healing. I could weep with, with gratitude on most days because when you've lost something like that or lost the ability to function normally and then you r- regain it somewhat, not, not even fully, but regain it, it's changed everything for me. It has honestly changed everything. And to me, having gratitude doesn't mean I'm Pollyanna. I don't have problems. I mean, right. this is hard. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. And we're still coming out from under it financially, emotionally, right. mentally, you know, trying to to navigate. And now with the pandemic and, and everything else happening in the world. So I also relied on family a lot for support, family, friends, um, It brought my family much closer together, too. It's just amazing, too, how people showed up. And I think it restored a lot of my faith in humanity as well. The people are really inherently good and they want to help. Yeah. They want to help. They want to bless other people and and do for you. We had one month that was really tricky. We didn't know how we were going to pay our rent, actually. Mm -hmm. My husband and I, we were just, the medical bills were piling up, and we we didn't know what we were going to do. And so we really just turned it over to God. And one Sunday we were in church. One of the pastors came over to us before it started, and he said, I have this envelope for you, but I can't tell you who gave it to me. They want to be anonymous. So we said, okay, and we took it. Thank you. We sat down. We looked in. In that envelope was enough money to cover our rent for that month. Wow. So, yeah, there were a lot of moments like that. 
and just again relying on my faith I do I, I meditate every day um, that's an, another thing that, that I do. I meditate every morning. It's been a game changer for me. It helps ground me and center me and just focuses me for my day. But I think self-care has, has been huge. Eating healthy, getting enough water. Sunshine. Sunshine. Exercise, all yes. of those things that yes. are so good for us. Yes. That, that I think a lot of people do take for granted. They're available for us. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And they don't cost anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> just easy and and. I think one of the things I find with, with my clients that's most difficult is they know all the things to do, but it's actually implementing them and doing them mm. where the true transformation and change takes place. And I think that's what changed for me is I always had the head knowledge of knowing what to do, but actually my hand was kind of forced in this situation where if I don't take care of myself, I'm going to be facing a lot more difficulties and health challenges. Mm-hmm. And so it was like time to the pedal to the metal. No, yeah. rubber meets the, the road. Yeah. <laughs> All those One cliches. of those things, yeah. 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 So I can imagine that this experience has given you fresh compassion and empathy for mm-hmm. individuals who struggle physically or with chronic illness. Speak to that a little bit if you can. Yeah, it has absolutely done that for me, which I am very grateful for. I found that before, and this is really kind of hard and embarrassing to admit, but as a therapist, you're supposed to check your agenda at the door and come in as a clean slate for your clients. And I would find that at times I would not get frustrated, maybe frustrated if I would talk with people and they would just want to vent or complain but not really want to take my suggestions. And at the risk of sounding arrogant, I mean, you know, I would in my mind be getting frustrated and judgmental even of Mm. people. And I'm thankful to say that has really completely left me since this has happened. Walking through this journey of my own and then meeting with people who have been through something similar, my heart breaks for them. My heart breaks for them because I know the difficulty in the struggle. And it gives me fresh perspective and a fresh lens to view. Their struggle might not be the same as mine, but to, to view what they're going through similarly to how difficult it was for me. And and it's always a good reminder. And it's so humbling for me to remember too. Um, you know, I prayed for God to keep me utterly and completely reliant and dependent on him. And so now when I have people that come to me and are struggling with, with, with things like this, it brings me back and there is not a whiff of impatience or frustration or criticism on my radar. It is just being there with them, meeting them where they are, truly, I hope and pray, and helping them walk through it with as much dignity as possible and helping them to learn also how to accept what is now their new normal Mm. and find the gratitude. Because no matter what the situation is, and I say this from experience, there is always something to be grateful for. Always. Right. Makes me think, too, of our current world status and the new normal phrase being thrown around. And it also reminds me of a DBT skill, dialectical behavior therapy, which is one of my favorites, radical acceptance, which in a nutshell says, I may not like what's happening, but what can I do to alleviate my suffering in the midst of it? Which is kind of where we're all at as a society, but probably where you were at at one point as well. And you mentioned gratitude. I think that's how you try to alleviate your suffering is find gratitude. One or two small things, little nuggets mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. goodness that are happening right now in this moment. Yes, mm-hmm. there was a, a book recommended, um, Man's Search for Meaning hmm. by v- Viktor Frankl. He was a survivor of, I believe it was the Auschwitz 
Auschwitz concentration camp. Hmm. And he talks about in this book so eloquently about, you know, everything was stripped from all of all of these these Jews in this in this concentration camp and I'm not doing it justice but basically in a nutshell what he says is they could take everything from me but what they couldn't take was how I chose to look at things right and how I chose to view them I mean he was in the the, the direst of circumstances mm-hmm. and still found a way to be grateful and I I love that that instills so much hope in me and and I hope that I can instill hope in others um, in in sharing even a little piece of that and, and helping others to really shift their thinking, doing a lot of CBT. That's the framework I love, and, and, and I use it on myself. And it, it's so helpful to, to empower people, to help them realize, yes, what you're going through is awful. However, you don't have to let it stop there, and you don't have to let it define you or be your story. Because as awful as it is, there is still good to be found. Absolutely. That's wonderful. And I'm so thankful that you have taken a few minutes of your time to share your story. Are there any lasting words of wisdom or knowledge or nuggets of hope that you can share with our listeners? I think the thing that's coming to mind is don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Just know that that you're not alone. There are people who care. I know. I think Mr. Rogers said, always look for the helpers. Right. And there are always helpers. And I love being a part of 180 because there are so many helpers there and people who really want to serve. And so please, if you are struggling, don't be too prideful or afraid or ashamed to reach out. Thank you, Heidi. Yeah. If you'd like to continue the conversation or seek out Heidi's help, with your major medical trauma or a loved one's major medical trauma. You can find her in our Cary location at www.1-80counseling.com. You've been listening to the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, with five triangle locations to serve you. Learn more at 1-80counseling.com. This has been an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680 WPTF and 98.5 FM, a Curtis Media Group station.